0: Particle. I, I, we got a family reunion going on over here, so we're going to let them join us in a moment. Welcome, those of you that are online. Welcome, Chapel and Video Cafe, and I'm going to try it again. Hello, Particle. It might be raining outside, but the sun's shining in here, friends. It's a great day to be in church. We're so glad you're with us. Hey, I want you to get your Bibles. We're going to jump right in. I got a lot I want to share with you, and it's a really great series that we're in. If you need to borrow a Bible, you raise your hand real high, and uh, our ushers are making their way through the room. If you're visiting today, you can borrow the Bible. Just leave it on the seat beside you. And if you are a guest today, be sure to fill out a connect card and drop that in the offering in a few moments. We'd love to have a record that you were here. And if you forgot your Bible and your regular tender, you can borrow one as well. And they're available in our venues and over in our chapel. And together, we're, just, we're going to jump right in. We're in a series right now. It's called Life Rhythms, Synchronized Living in an Offbeat World. And the goal of our series is to... Look at the dissonance that sometimes exists between the inner part of our world, sort of uh, who I am inside, and the exterior part of my world, who you see and who we see when we look at the outer parts. And we use the image of an iceberg. We talked about the 10% above that everybody sees and the 90% below. So this morning, we're going to be talking about looking beneath the surface, and it's a, a really, really insightful, and I think you're really going to enjoy the challenge that will come with this message. But here's what I want you to do for all of us. I want us to be candid today. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor, and I'm not going to say, you know, tell them about the darkest part of your lives or anything you've ever done. This is a personal journey. But would you be honest with God? Maybe you're new to faith, and you're investigating, and you're not quite sure what this church world is all about. We believe that not only does God love us, God exists, that He is the Father, there is the Son, there is the Holy Spirit, but we believe that He speaks to us, and sometimes He nudges our hearts, and His Holy Spirit will just nudge us a little bit. And I want you to be open today, and just pray that prayer and say, Father, wherever you want to speak to me, I want to be available for that, particularly when I talk about beneath the surface and the things that influence our lives, because I do believe there are some very powerful forces that influence us, and we want to look at those, and then how do we respond to those? So, who are you? That's the question, right? Who are you? Not not the person I see this morning, you all look amazing, and I can't see you out there in the video, but you all look amazing, I believe that. Unless you're at home, you're watching online, you might be in your pajamas, that would be a different story. But for all the rest of us, you're dressed up and you're looking really, really good. And who are you underneath the surface? Who is the person that we often don't see? Now this came home to me in a very, very personal way one time. I don't know how many of you remember, do you remember the era of Airports and airplane flying that you could go to the airport. You didn't have to take a passport You didn't have to show identification. You guys remember this you could actually just show up and fly It was kind of fun back then and it was uh, it was an experience You didn't have to line up like the cattle in the little stalls and get on the plane and go In fact, they never really asked for your ID as long as you had your boarding pass You're good to go. Well, that was some of the free time and it was a little more expensive to fly if you remember back then And people, particularly corporations and businesses and leaders, who had to fly for business during the week, it was very expensive to buy a ticket from Monday, leave on Monday, come back on Friday. Now, some of you would be familiar with this practice. What some corporations and people and individuals and and businesses would do, they would buy two tickets because if you stayed for a weekend, if you stayed over on the weekend, you got a greatly reduced ticket price. How many are you tracking? You remember this? Alrighty. So they'd buy two tickets and they would just throw two halves away. That way it was cheaper than paying the in-week flight fare. Well, this particular leader that I knew was planning one of these trips and he knew my family lived in a different province and he said to me, he goes, hey Doug, I have to buy these two tickets and they're going to they're just going to throw them away. They're going to be empty seats on the way back because we're paying for the tickets. Would you like to fly with those tickets? Well, how many of you would love to go for a free flight? Absolutely. I'm Scottish enough to go. I'm good. I'm there. And so when he offered that to me, I thought it'd be a wonderful thing to do. There's one little wrinkle. My name is not on the boarding pass. His is. And I said, But I'm not you. He goes, Don't worry about it, they'll never ask you for your ID. How many of you know my life story? All right, here we go. So he does his little trip, and I get the two free boarding passes that I get to go. Now, the great part of the story is that he was also the member to the exclusive club, that small elite group of people that never look tired on the planes because they're always in lazy boys being fed upstairs before they get on the airplane. He belonged to that club. He goes, here's the good news. You get to go in because it's my boarding pass. I thought, oh, finally, I get to see how the rest of the world lives. And so when I got to the airport that day, you know, a little bit of trepidation in my heart, and I had the boarding pass, and and I get up there, and the lady at the counter before, I went to the lounge, you know, to go into the flight lounge where I'd rest a little bit, because I just, I had to go. I needed to know. And so she looks at the name, and she looks at me, and I thought, oh, here we go. And she looks at the name, and she goes, welcome, mister, and she calls his name, and I go, that's me. Of course that's me. (laughs) And I just, I walk right in, I'm just like, that's me back there, she called me, and wow, it is, have you been in those rooms? Oh, get a boarding pass, people, and go in there. It's amazing. So I go in, and I'm relaxing, and there's food and beverages and magazines, and you put your feet up. They tell you when your flight's coming. And then when you go down, you don't have to go on that big queue. You get that preferential trip. And so I go on, and they look, and this is the moment, right? You're getting on the plane, and they ask for the boarding pass, and I'm thinking, oh, you had a good run. Enjoy it. They're going to send you right back home. And I get to the gate, and she looks at the boarding pass. Welcome, Mr. So-and-so. Go right in. I go, I love this. You'll never get away with it now, but I loved it. And I got on the plane. Then I got thinking while I'm flying, I'm not really on this plane. He's on the plane. Now, my body's there, but he is on the plane. So not that we ever prayed that there would be, you know, tragedy or issues like that, but if that plane ever went down, Doug wasn't disappearing. He was. And I just realized in that moment that it wasn't me that was there. And there's that little moment, that little sense of incongruity between who I am and who I was pretending to be. You ever been there? We, we do this, but it's not when we fly. It's how we live our lives in front of other people, how we portray ourselves, that we are sometimes influenced to be something that we're really not. And so I go back to the question, who are you? Who are you? Who is that beneath the surface person the 90 percent the one that you know yourself to be truly who you are where your fears and your dreams and your ambitions and all that you are is encompassed underneath the surface it's the you that there are days that you hope nobody knows it's you because the thoughts that you have you hope nobody can read your mind right If you're frustrated, you're upset, and you just want to vent, and you got this cool exterior, but deep down inside, there is this sense. I go, I hope nobody knows who this really is right now, because this is the real part of me. See, we all have a part of our lives that we keep down beneath the surface. And so we live life with this disconnectedness, and there's this lack of harmony between the exterior and the interior. And So the journey to emotionally healthy spirituality is, let's get these back in sync so that we live authentically to who we truly are. So to help us get over there today, we want to look at who we are through the lens of a character in the Bible. It's interesting, William Shakespeare in his play Hamlet would have Polonius say, to your own self be true, to thine own self be true. That means, uh, if I were to take it in my language today, that means be true to who God created you to be, your characteristics, your temperament, your personality, your gifts, all that God has given to you. Be true to that. Don't give that away. Don't let somebody else steal that from you. I like what Mike, uh, author Mike Robbins said in his book. He's an author and a corporate trainer. His book title is written this way. He says, Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Good challenge, isn't it? To be real, to be who we are. So to get there, I'm going to take us back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. So you can flip over there if you want to look up the text, and we're going to follow along. We're going to look beneath the surface, and we're going to look at it through the lens of a very familiar biblical individual, that when we get into his story, you're going to go, I know him. But I venture to say today, and it's, it's my hope today, that what I'm about to reveal to you is a different part of his life, that the influences that were playing into his life could have potentially changed the outcome that we now read about. And I wonder if maybe the influences that are exerting themselves on our lives are changing the outcome of who God wants us to be, because there are forces at play, Right? the need to impress, the need to belong, the need to aspire to have more than what we really want. We sell a little bit of our soul for financial gain, the need to be popular. All of these forces are continually playing, and when those forces are at play in our lives, they're down beneath the surface, and we wrestle with those things, and those things alter the exterior personality. So we want to look at this, and we truly want to come back into this synchronized life rhythm where who we are, is a reflection of who God created us to be. So here's where we're going to go. 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is 1025 B.C. If you were to read the whole story, we don't have time this morning, you have two nations at war. Their battle lines are drawn very familiar. If you're new to the Bible, let me give you a little context. It is the nation of the Philistines and the nation of the Israelites. Their battle lines are formed. They were just set on conquest and control, and it was going to be a battle to the end. The Philistines in this particular situation were equipped Experienced and they were eager. Put it in vernacular, they were bigger, better, and badder than the Israelites. The Israelites were the novices. And so here we are, they're intimidated by the Philistines, and these sworn enemies are about to duke it out. It's going to be a defining moment. It's going to be victory and conquest for one, it's going to be subjugation and slavery for the other. Now, what's unique about this particular battle context is that they make a decision that we're not going to send all of our warriors onto the battlefield. So here in the valley of Elah, they've made a decision. The Philistines have actually anteed up, and they said, well, here's the deal. We're going to go mano a mano. We're going to go our best warrior, your best warrior. And Israel's like, oh, that's kind of good. We're good. So it's come, come down to a battle of the two. It's going to be hand-to-hand combat. Whoever wins, the other nation yields. And so they accept the terms. But they didn't realize that it would be Goliath walking out from the lines of the Philistines. And so this mammoth of a man... The Bible says he's three meters, he's nine feet, he's over nine feet tall. I mean, just think about it, that's like me or Pastor Jeff, and then add just like another three feet to get to the size. He's a big burly dude. And he steps out there on the battle lines and he goes, Hey Israel, give me your best. And everybody in the Israelite army, they're looking around and it's like five foot nothing down the line and they're going, like, who wants him? No, I mean, you go. No, you go. You go. Nobody wants to go. And so here you got the Philistines, and Goliath is taunting the Israelites, and the Bible says that the Israelites, the soldiers, are filled with fear because they don't know how to handle this man. So all of this is taking place, and we have this man that we meet in the context. He's the unexpected hero of the story. We all know. It's very, very familiar. We meet David. David. Now, David hadn't originally gone there. David had been sent there by his father to take supplies down to his brothers and then to report back and let me know how my sons are doing in the battle. But when David gets there, he's very inquisitive about what's taking place. And it's in this context where David is accelerated into a position where all of Israel is about to celebrate the extraordinary things God will do through his lives and the Philistines will be defeated. Now, that's the story we know. But did you know that there were moments in this snapshot where there were forces at play in David's life that could have altered the outcomes? That there were potential influencers in his world that were trying to shape or could have changed or undermined who David was, that they were causing David, they would have challenged David to live less than who you are. And had David embraced those, well, we'll never know. I would submit to you that quite possibly the outcome could have been radically different than what we read. So let me read a few verses together with you, and then we'll get into the story. Here's what it says in uh, verse 12 to 15. It says that David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, was very old. Jesse's three oldest had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn, Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And so here you have just this snapshot giving us the overview of who the characters in the story are, how David fits into the context, and then we read the outcome of David defeating Goliath. But I want to show you what I believe to be, maybe not all of them, but what I believe to be three of life's. Potential limiters, and perhaps maybe the most significant potential limiters we're going to face in life. So, if you got your notes out, I want you to take a few down this morning. I'm going to get you to fill in the blanks, and here's the first one I want you to write in family. Family. I'll put a picture on the screen so you can have a look at this. We all come from family. You know this, right? You all come from a family. Everybody here has some type of family connection. So whether we're from a blended family, a traditional family, from a single-parent family, whatever the construct and composition, we all have families that we come from. And families can be one of the most potentially limiting factors in our life if we allow them to exercise and exert control over us, if we don't recognize what's taking place. Now, you know a lot of my story. I've come from a family where there's six siblings. I'm one of six. And in our family, how many of you know that the youngest is spoiled? Better question. Be honest. Raise your hand. How many of you are the youngest in your family? Up high. Be proud. You're spoiled. You might as well embrace it right now. You know you're spoiled, right? If you're from a single-child family or a multi-child family, you're spoiled. If you don't believe it, ask your other siblings. They'll be honest with you. They'll tell you. The reason I know this, I'm from a family of six. I was third in, so we're not going to talk about birth order dysfunctions right now. But I was third born into the family. My sister was the youngest. She was the sixth. She won hands down. She was a girl, five boys. She's always going to be spoiled. And she's the youngest. That girl could undermine anything. that We we could sit and watch TV. One could cry. She would say, Mom, it's his fault. And guess whose fault it was? They always believed the youngest. What's with this? Family has an incredible influence on our lives. Did you know that family has this ability to speak words? They can speak disrespect into our lives. They can speak pain into our lives, and we'll hold that, and we'll walk through life. And I know all kinds of people. I have counseled. I have met with people in my role, what I do. It's amazing the power of influence that family has. And when you start to look at family, and you understand family can just place on us not only sort of the onerous expectations, they also influence us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. We feel like we have to comply because they're part of our family. Family's family. You didn't choose them. They didn't choose you. You're stuck with them. Sorry, can't fix that part. They are your family. In fact, families are so powerful that the expectations, just think about it, and don't raise your hand and don't turn to any family members. Has there ever been a family event you just didn't want to go to, but you knew you had to go to? And the only reason you went is because oh, this is therapeutic right here, because of family. Of course, you go, "I don't want to go to that birthday party." "Oh, Uncle Bill's 90. Who cares? He's had 90 birth, you know whatever. Family places these expect, and family have the power of looks. They do. You train parents, and they pass it on to their kids. Parents can paralyze children in fear with a look. You can be at a table and your dad can look across the table and go, you didn't do anything, and you're paralyzed in fear, and you go, I'm dead. Tell me what I did, because I'm dead. That's family. Have you ever thought about David battling Goliath and the power of family? See, David, the Bible tells us, was the youngest of his family. There were eight in his family. Eliab and his other two brothers were at war with Saul, and here comes David, so no wonder... This little outburst that we're about to read takes place because you have the three oldest brothers whose youngest favored brother comes into the story. Now watch what takes place and ask yourself this question. If David had listened, could this have changed the outcome? So we go over to verse 28 and 29. So when Eliab, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men that David was asking about Goliath, he burned with anger at him and he asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down to watch the battle. Now what have I done? David said, Wow! Can you feel the power of family influence in that moment? That David comes out and he's looking at this massive display of power and ego and challenge, he hears Goliath across the valley shouting at Israel, send me a warrior to battle against me. And all the Israelites are cowering in fear. And so David goes, hey, what's going to be done for the man who battles Goliath? What's the king going to do for the one who's victorious here? And when Eliab hears him, he turns to David and immediately there's just this outburst. And I would venture to say that far too many of us under the exterior of our lives We know what it is to have family speak words that sting deeper than we care to admit. That those words are like darts that penetrate and barbs that hold into our skin. And we go through life and everything we do and every decision we make and every thought that we have and every time we think about family, we replay those powerful, painful moments in our lives. And so here is David, this young, innocent, adolescent sheep herder coming out to support his father, do his father's wishes, check out, report back to dad. And his brother... His oldest brother of all is the one that will retort in anger towards him. And when you look at Eliab's anger, you start to penetrate a little bit deeper and you see what he's asking him. Why have you come here? It's like he's questioning David's motives. What did you do with the sheep? Now he's questioning his competency. You're not even doing your job. And then he makes this statement. He goes, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. And he questions his character. He questions his character. Look, you let any stranger question my character and I'm good, but you have a family member question my character? You'll cut me to the quick. And David in that moment has to make a decision. Will I be limited by the influence of my brother or am I going to learn how to leverage this moment? Am I going to rise up to be who God created me? Am I going to be true to who I know I am in the interior part of my world? And I know what God has called me to, and I know what this is about. And David just turns to his oldest brother. Now, context is is everything right here. You're in a Near Eastern context where the oldest has the birthright, where the oldest is deferred to in family matters, where the oldest is respected. And David submits his words carefully to him. He goes, but now what have I done? He doesn't challenge him doesn't refute him, doesn't start a fight with him. He just simply asks, now what is it that I've done? And he asks a question to engage the conversation, then he turns away to the other soldiers and starts again. Now some of us, man, we had rolled up the cuffs and taken our oldest brother on. We had to go, this is it, let's go, let's brew. And uh, David doesn't do that. But I also want to point out this. He still had to choose what to do with the words. What do you do when a family member tries to limit you? And they question your motives and your competency and your character. And far too often, far too often, those are the things that haunt us in our life. And so David just turns and he moves on and he starts to ask the others, I have to wonder here, I wonder if it's not, seri- it's not just that Eliab has some unresolved anger issues. I wonder if it has more to do that it's not that David showed up on the front lines, but that David has now been chosen to be next in line. See, if you go back one chapter into 1 Samuel chapter 16, that's when the prophet of God went to Jesse's house, and God says, I'm going to raise up a new king. So I want you to go to Jesse's house. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he's got the anointing oil to set apart the new king. And when he gets there, he says to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any boys? Because God's looking for one to anoint. And Eliab, being the oldest, is the first one to see. And even Samuel was so impressed with Eliab. The Bible says that when, Eliab, when Samuel saw Eliab, he thought, this He's the one. He looked at the man. He was handsome and rugged, powerful in stature. And he thought, this has got to be the one that God has selected. And the Lord says to him, don't look at the outside. Don't look at the outside. Don't look at the 10% above. He goes, I want you to look at the 90% below. And can you imagine how Eliab felt when Samuel says, no, he's he's not the one. Next one, he's not the one. Next one, he's not the one. Jesse, seven more. And he goes, is there anyone else in your family? And all the brothers are gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the favored one, the runt. He's out watching sheep. And Samuel says, then bring him in. And when he comes in, he doesn't carry himself like the oldest boys do. But uh, David walks into the presence. And immediately God says to Samuel, he's the one. And he anoints him with oil, and he sets him apart. And the Bible says that the power of the Lord comes upon David in that moment. And David knows that God's doing something incredible in his life. And only one chapter later, in the middle of a war, when his oldest brothers on the front lines, and David, with curiosity, just simply says, "What's going to be done for the one who delivers Israel from this Philistine?" His oldest brother, in anger, just goes, "I'm going to question your motives, and I'm going to question your character, and I'm going to question your competency." I think it had nothing to do with the battle. And it had everything to do with what happened back at the house. Friends, family, family have powerful influences over our lives. Those are one of those forces that move in and try to control and shape. So I ask you a question one more time. Who are you? Who are you? Are you who God created you to be? Free, limitless, powerful, all the attributes, all your characteristics. Or is it crippled? and constrained because of the words and the memories and the actions of family. Well, David knew how to handle that. He was respectful to his oldest brother, but then he just moved right on and carried on with what God called him to. It takes us into the next one here. Have a look at this in your notes. I want you to write this word down. It's the word influencers. Influencers. So if you follow the story, we just don't have time to read it in its fullness today. If you follow the story, it becomes influencers that are next. These are the people other than family whose words and actions and involvement, their choices and impressions, they imprint and frame our lives. I have a picture I'll put on the screen for you. can look at These are the peers, the coaches, the teachers, the trainers, the supervisors, the leaders. These are the ones who are in our public world, In the constellation of our exterior life, they are the ones that move in and out of our lives and we're enamored by them. And we say, I want to mentor myself after that person. I want to model that person. I want to imitate that person's life. Or the words that they speak bring life and lift us. They're called influencers. We all have them. Everybody has them. But did you know that influencers can also be the ones who can impose limitations? If the words they speak and the actions they choose, they're not careful with them. And in David's situation, we see this played out again. So I want to take you back into the story so we can look it through his lens. Because an influencer can inspire us to achieve the impossible or dissuade us from believing it's even possible. So back into David now. King Saul is informed that somebody in the ranks of Israel is asking what will be done for the one who defeats Goliath. Now, if you're king, you're there with your men in battle. And you recognize it's a stalemate. Every day Goliath is coming out and he taunts Israel and nobody's stepping out of the ranks. If you're king and you hear rumor that somebody is asking the question, what will be done for the one who defeats Goliath? Something in your heart begins to race because you start to ask yourself, could it be, could it be that within our ranks there is yet an undiscovered champion? That someone that we've overlooked whose stature can match the stature of the other. And so King Saul sends word and he says, get me this David. Who is this David? And David comes into the presence of the king. Now what a moment. Wow, I wish we could go back to this. So here you have this young adolescent sheep herder filled with incredible optimism. And he comes into the presence of Israel's king, his king. And he tells his king, hey, Saul! Well, okay, maybe. Hey, King Saul, don't lose heart. Don't worry about this Philistine. Your servant will rid the land of this Philistine. Now, you have to ask yourself, what would Saul be thinking at this moment? This is just this young shepherd herder. How disheartened Saul have been when David was there, hopeful that this lone voice of curiosity within the ranks maybe was their hero that they were seeking. But hope was quickly vanquished when he realizes that it's just adolescent optimism. Now watch what Saul says to him. uh, Chapter 17, verse 33. So Saul said to David, You are not able, look at these words, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now question, was this influencing him to inspire Or was this dissuading him? You're not able. You're too young. You've never been a warrior. In other words, this is what he's saying. Sorry, David. You're inexperienced. You're unprepared. You're ill-equipped. You're not the one. And there's no hope in this. And David just doesn't back down. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand, Saul. I, I can do this. And yet these words hang in the air. And a question I have to ask myself, these words are the death now, when they're spoken by an influencer. When someone you revere and respect says that you are inexperienced, unprepared, ill-equipped, and in your heart of hearts, you go, no, I can do this. I can do this. Friends, sometimes it happens when we're just youth and people speak that into our lives. Sometimes it happens when we're seniors and people speak that into our lives. Sometimes it happens when we're just in our workplaces. We see influencers have this power, and we either have to choose to be limited by it and live to a lesser person than we know ourselves to be, or stay true to who we are. And look at David. David goes, no way. I respect my king, but I can do this. I can do this. I can be the one that can get us there. So he finally convinces the king. He said, okay, let me go at him. And the king finally concedes. Now, I've asked myself a question. Why did Saul concede? Why did he give in? And he makes a concession, and and again, if you're new to the Bible, let me explain what happens here. King Saul, when David, just in his passion, just just raw, raw passion, says, no, no, let me at him. Then Saul says, okay, David, then then I'll let you go, but you've got to put on my clothes, and you've got to put on my armor. Now, all of you that have read the Bible and you know the story, oh, yeah, I know how this works out. We've, you know, got to the end of the story, watched the movie many times. And Saul says to David, no, 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 you've got to put this on. And David, in this moment, he yields to the influence of this leader. And he said, okay, put him on me. And they describe him. He's putting on his tunic, you know, the long robe that's going to go underneath and all the chest of armor and everything. And look what it says in verse 38, I'm sorry, verse 39. It says, David fastened on the sword over the tunic. He tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he said to Saul, he said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. He said, Saul, this doesn't work for me. Now, I got... I got thinking, this is a rather unusual concession. You know, for David to be put into Saul's, David's still a young adolescent, a young boy compared to Saul. So Saul is putting his tunic on, so David's like having to hike it up and tuck it into the belt, having to roll up the sleeve so it fits. Probably had to put newspaper up or parchment up in the hat so his helmet would fit on his head, you know, and he's going like, this isn't going to work for me. And he says, please, just take all of this off. Why did Saul do that? Why did Saul do that? So a thought crossed my mind. I wonder if King Saul, in his heart of hearts, was thinking, this kid's going to die. This kid's going to die. But he's the only one willing to step up for Israel. And if he's going to die, he's going to die in the king's military uniform. He's going out in honor. And I think Saul was already making funeral preparations, telling his assistant, you know, well, we'll just carry the body off. We'll take care of it later. But he honors David with this. And can you imagine for a young shepherd boy to be putting the clothes of the king on and getting the armor of the king and all that's racing through his mind, thinking, wow, I can step out in front of my brother Eliab. Check this out. I got the king's uniform. Goliath, check this out. No, not yet. And just bringing all of that honor his way. It would have been an easy thing to do because sometimes leaders want to impose on us their wishes. Not always is it dismissive and demeaning. Sometimes it's merely misguided. So it would have been easy for David in that moment to be influenced by his Saul, by King Saul, and say, yeah, you know, I'll just work with it. I'll get out there and I'll battle with it and I'm going to be okay, knowing full well it's not who he was. Knowing that in his heart of hearts, this is not how God created me. This is not my gifts and my abilities. My strength isn't to be dressed like someone else. My strength isn't to take on his personality. My strength is to be me. Saul, could you let me be me? How remarkable that a king is willing to honor the one warrior that's willing to go to the battlefield. And the Bible says, you can read the rest of the verse, that David takes it all off and he goes, just let me be who I am. Friends, that's a powerful thing. Be true to who you are. David picks up the five smooth stones. He's got his sling. And he goes, these I know how to use. So let me go at Goliath the way that I'm most comfortable. And Saul said, okay, then go. Then it's yours takes us to another influencer that I want you to see, and we'll take it into the notes today. Write down the words, life circumstances. Life circumstances. See, for all of us in the room, life is filled with these giant moments of uncertainty, moments of challenge, whether it's illness or it's unemployment, it's recession, it's death, it's war, it's crisis. These are the giants of intimidation. Their influence is far-reaching and debilitating. They leave people paralyzed with fear and hopeless. For Israel, their giant of intimidation bore a name. His name was Goliath. No one, no one could foresee how they would ever get past this warrior. This was the indomitable giant of intimidation, and they were allowing Goliath to define their futures. They were being limited because of the one who stood in front of them. They were convinced that their fate was certain, that those who didn't die on this battlefield today would live a life of subjugation and slavery. That's why nobody was stepping up, because life was beating them down. And in their world, their life had a name. It was Goliath. But David, David refused to allow Goliath to be the life circumstance that was going to define his future. David wasn't going to be limited because there was an obstacle in front of him, and he wasn't going to allow Goliath to shape or frame how he would live out his life. So this disproportionately large, hostile warrior was not going to intimidate, not going to undermine, and not going to strip away what God had intended for and God had called David to. So back into 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. David standing in front of his life circumstance, he says this to Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. you notice a change here? David says, you bring your life circumstance at me. I'm not bringing just who I am. I'm bringing God with me. I'm bringing God into my life circumstance. All of Israel was back on the hills watching David. That must have been an amazing picture right there. Because this wasn't that massive of a valley. I've been there. We've seen it. Those of you that have gone to Israel, you've been there. It wasn't that big of a valley. They could basically smell each other from across the way. And you watch this little battle on the ground. And they're waiting for the outcome. And here is David. And he goes, you come at me, Goliath. I have no problem with this. And if you don't know the rest of the story, David just reaches into his pouch. He takes out one stone you know what's funny the bible records that goliath this nine foot three meter mammoth of a man came to the battlefield with an armor bearer he brought somebody with him that's like that's not mental he brought somebody down to the field with him so he brings a guy to carry his equipment in front of him and from behind his armor bearer he sees he can barely see david he's like hey oh good they sent a dog to fight me and you're going to fight me with sticks and stones that's great And he taunts him, but David just chooses the one stone. And he knows it's not the stone. It's the one who directs the stone. It's the one who directs the stone. And he steps into his life circumstance. He goes, it will not define me. Friends, we all have life circumstances. We have giants of intimidation. They're always just a matter of perspective. I took you into David's life in a more fuller context. Here's what we had realized. David had already told Saul. He said, I have battled the lion. I have battled the bear. When they tried to strike me with their paw, the Lord delivered me from their hand. This Philistine is no different than any one of them. In other words, my life circumstances will not define my life. They will not intimidate me and they will not limit me because God is always with me. See, that's why when we read words like greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, those aren't just simple, soothing words that we carry on a Sunday morning. We walk out into our life circumstance and we go, greater is he who is in me than the one who is in the world, the one who brings a circumstance into my face. In essence, what David was saying is who I am and who God is is more than enough for any life circumstance that comes at me. So he refuses to be limited by this. Now think about this carefully. This is David standing in the presence of his giant, and he's not cowering in fear, but he's walking in faith knowing that God is for me. God is with me, and God will deliver me in the middle of this. And I want you to hear this carefully this morning. We all have life circumstances, but are you facing your life circumstances, and are they beating you down, limiting you, Or are you rising up in faith and you are limitless in the midst of your circumstance? doesn't change the reality of it. Goliath was still there. The battle was still in front of us. David had to walk into the battle to see the deliverance of the Lord. He wasn't back on the hill saying, you know, God's going to be with me. He did his part. He got his supplies. He got his equipment. He had his faith. He stepped in fully confident that God was going to be there. You know, a lot of times what we want to do is, God, you kind of go up front first. And then when you got all that out of the way, I'll step in and go, look what I did with God. And David said, no, no, send me down there. I'll go. But the same God that was with me in the past is the God that is with me in the present. He'll be with me in the future and I will destroy Goliath. You are not your circumstances. Hear me this morning. You are not your circumstances. You might be a single mom trying to raise your kids, struggling to bring home enough income to buy enough groceries, to pay your rent. You are not your circumstances. Your God is greater than your circumstances. doesn't change your reality, but God is able to bring change and power and transformation in that. You are not defined by your disability. You are not defined by your lack of education. You are not defined by the debt that just overwhelms you. You are not limited by the language that you struggle with in a new country. You are not defined by the color of your skin. You are not defined by any of the circumstances, whether you're too young or you're too old, you're too inexperienced, you're too immature. None of those can define you because who you are and who God is is more than enough for whatever circumstance you're facing right now. Don't be limited by them. Paul said in Philippians, it's a paraphrase, but it's in Philippians out of the message. He says, Whatever I have and wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. See, we sing it around here, but it's not a song, it's a declarative statement. I am all that he says I am. I am free in Christ. I am forgiven in Christ. I am an overcomer in Christ. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's who I am. You are not defined by family. You're not defined by your life circumstances. You're not defined by influencers. You are defined by the one who called you, who redeemed you, who gave you brand new life. See, so many of us allow ourselves to live below the surface And we struggle with this incongruity between who we know ourselves to be and who we present to others. We polish and perfect so people will think the best of us. But this disharmony below the surface is always there because of the words or actions or consequences of family or influencers who could only see optimism and squelched our potential or life circumstances that are daunting. They're daunting. And we we don't minimize those. But don't let that be your limiter. Don't let that be your limiter. Be a David. Be a David who understood how to respond in each one of those situations and then stand up and go, I know the one. I know the one who's going to rescue me. You are defined by the one who created you. You are defined by the one who called you. You are defined by the one who loves you, who believes in you, who cares for you, who empowers you. You are defined by the one who said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So question, question, who are you? Who are you? I just know I feel this so deep in my soul. I just know that what is represented in this room and those of you that are watching online and in the other venues, the potential is limitless. It's limitless. But we allow the enemy to convince us that those other voices have more power. And when Jesus went to the cross and he was raised back to life, friends, He not only destroyed the power and the penalty of sin, He took authority back and He gives us authority to be who we are. Sons and daughters of the Most High God that when we face whatever we face, we can rise up and be strong and be courageous. Who are you? Now I'm going to ask you for a moment of courage. You might be in the chapel, you might be in our video cafe, even at home watching. Are you letting those voices define who you are? So if you are, I want you to do something this morning. I want you to stand to your feet and say, no more. No more. I want you to stand to your feet and say, I am all who he says I am. So this morning, I don't care where you are, in this room, the other rooms, if that's you, whether it's family, whether it's influencers, whether it's life circumstances, you've been bound, just quickly stand all over the place. Just stand up and say, this morning, Father, as I stand on my feet, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I will be all who God says that I am. I am more than enough in Jesus Christ who has rescued me, who has delivered me. He is, He is the greatest one in our lives. Amen? I want the rest of us to stand to our feet this morning. Everybody else stand to our feet. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to sing a song of declaration. We are actually going to sing this song. I am who He says I am. And as we sing these words, those of you that stood earlier, wherever you are, whatever venue, I want you to sing this, not as words on a screen, but with conviction in your heart. Let it redefine who you are because you are His Son and you are His daughter. And friends, don't let anybody else take that away from you. Amen? So sing with our worship team and let's make this real.